Welcome back to another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. Today we spend our time talking about silence, which is a huge paradox, but it was a good episode. Went down a couple of rabbit holes, one of them around centering prayer, the practice of that. But for the most part, we look at the importance of silence within our spiritual practices and especially in the context of Christianity and how to uh, better embrace that on a day-to-day basis. Once again, thank you Diego from Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound design for each and every episode. Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. You can check that out at monkdrums.com to pick yourself up one. If you'd like to read more of David's musings, poems, thoughts, check out theruin.com. You can also find The Ruin on Facebook. And if you'd like to hear more episodes of Desert Rain Community Radio, check out drcrpod.com. And tell a friend. If you like what you hear, please uh, spread the word, spread the love. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How low Welcome. can you go? Welcome to another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. I'm sitting here with Mr. David Morrison. How are you doing today, my friend? Good, good. How are you doing, sir? Doing good. We uh, left off a few weeks ago. We took a, a holiday break. And our last episode, we discussed uh, your dance with death, so to speak. The dance macabre. Uh, Ten years ago or so. And today, to not necessarily piggyback on that, but to piggyback on that in the sense of when you, when you, when you get dead, <laughs> this is what you experience. <laughs> and, but more importantly, throughout time... And throughout uh, religious traditions, one of the huge things that seems to be a constant, especially ancient traditions, is silence. And so I wanted to explore this idea um, specifically in the Christian context, because I know for me, when I first started getting into, I know it's a taboo word in some uh, corners of Christianity, but meditation um, there was this like part of me that was interested or searching for the Christian context of silence. Mm-hmm. At the time, I would have called it meditation, but today, I, I, a more appropriate word, I think, for myself is just silence in general. And so, um, we've talked we've talked briefly about centering prayer in the past, and I know that's sort of the the tradition you lean into. So maybe we can just start off with what, what has been your, in your lifetime and in your spiritual journey, what has been sort of your dance with silence? Well, I, th- I think silence is another metaphor, if you will, for the very presence of God. Mm. So it's the embrace of God on your soul as you just sit there because it's unconditional. So you're not 
exerting anything. You're not producing anything. You're not uh, meriting anything. And so that's what grace is. And so grace accesses you, the free-flowing, universal grace of God. And so it's the loving embrace, the unconditional love of the divine on your soul when we're still. Maybe a more practical way to, to look at it would be You've got a toddler running around doing toddler things, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know uh, the uncle gives them sugar, and so they're just bouncing off the walls <laughs> like a chimpanzee. The fun uncle. <laughs> yeah. They're throwing fits, they're throwing tantrums, but then there comes that moment where they crash and they are put to sleep. They're not put to sleep, but <laughs> not tranquilized. Uh, they're in a cave, but they they fall Kennedy. asleep for a nap or for bedtime, and. And they're asleep there on their back, and and the parents look look upon the toddler, and at that moment the toddler is perfect to mm. them, and so that is the gaze of God. Theologians would call it the beatific gaze of God upon the soul in that silence as you're sleeping, and so and in scriptures you see that metaphor for sleep being uh, mm. the same as as silence, with the exception of. Uh, in the New Testament, in Jesus' teaching, he says to stay awake. Right. But but in other contexts, right. you see it, you know, meaning the opposite. So. Well, and 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 so maybe that's a good a good um, because there are parts in the gospel where it talks about Jesus. Uh, he go, you know, he goes and is alone. Oh yeah, yeah, often. Know? And and so to sort of couple what you're saying with. Um, in the New Testament, why do you think in sort of the modern context, uh, meditation or silence is kind of maybe frowned upon or discouraged? Yeah, and suspicious in, of it. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Sort of. Do you under? Can you give us some insight about why that might be? Yeah, I would. I would guess probably the advent of the of the nineteen sixties in this country. Uh, Eastern philosophy okay. began to enter the mainstream of America because mm. of the probably the Korean and then the Vietnam Wars, okay. uh, and so and and uh, the uh, deregulation of immigration reform. You know, the, the anti-Asian sentiment in this country is got a sordid and long history, right? It's Even when, far and, before the sixties. Yeah, the sixties were, mm. I believe, when some of those rest- those legal okay. restrictions because soldiers were were marrying Vietnamese oh. women, and well, so they, they yeah. needed immigration reform on that. Right. And so, so that allowed you know uh, Buddhist practitioners and teachers, mm-hmm. Hindu uh, teachers to to you know come to the United States more freely, and so I, I think that you know threatened. Uh, particularly conservative uh, Christians, Christians in America, and so it's threatening to yeah. Them. And so, so in our popular culture, when you hear the word meditate, you think of uh, the Beatles hanging out with the mariachi yogi <laughs> guy with the beard, and you know, and you're doing transcendental meditation, right. which became very popular in the '70s and '80s, and it even is still popular today. I, I guess, yeah. yeah. I, I would think yoga probably took its. So yoga is far more, yeah, yeah, sort of as far as most popular yeah. right now, yoga for sure. And so, yeah, and so 
so Christian meditation kind of, because we didn't uh, practice our own tradition, uh, particularly Protestants. Right. Uh, that- you know, the Protestants, the, the Protestant, and I, I don't mean to be too glib, and I am being glib, so I'll just qualify it. Right. Um, that I'm being reductive. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, you know, it's, but that's not really my it's intent. It's a broad stroke. We're just, yeah, I'm, I'm using a broad stroke. Um, the use of the scriptures was to arm yourself for debates and arguments. Uh, that That's the primary use of scripture rather than uh, mm, studying using it. it for prayer and okay. and to let it go into your soul, which is meditation, you know, and, and so, and you see that directive throughout the scriptures to meditate mm-hmm. on the word. Um, you see the, uh, you know, when Paul talks, says practice peace. Well, what does he mean by that? Enter into the peace, be at peace. Uh, well, he means practice. It, it means, uh, to be still, and it, it was such a given in the you know in that time period that that they didn't have to to come up with a technique you know and either either does Jesus he doesn't come up with a technique of of prayer it's almost when they uh, push him give us a prayer you know right. John's yeah, yeah. Di- John's pushing. disciples have a prayer we need, <laughs> we need to get us one of them prayers we want a fancy prayer. yeah you know, it was it was almost like they constrained him a bit and uh, and so he reluctantly. You know, and I'm again. I'm using a broad uh, stroke there, mm-hmm. but and he and he gives you know the Our Father, uh, but otherwise he doesn't. He's just come and see, and he's getting up in the in the late. You know, I mean, I think we're finding now that circadian rhythms were different in the ancient world, mm-hmm. and people uh, tended to go to bed at sundown, right, and then would actually wake up uh, two or three in the morning for a couple of hours, and that's. Interesting. When he would probably pray, um, and then they go back to bed, and when the sun came up, they'd get up again. Yeah, and so <clears throat> that I know from my own personal experience. In fact, in fact, I think it was uh, we we talked about Richard Foster and his uh, celebration of discipline, right? And he talks about meditation and that. And one of the things he talks about is kind of what you're talking about as far as um, like fasting and meditation and, and things of that nature that maybe we're not as uh, knowledgeable about today. It was common practice yes, yes. in Jesus's time. And so you wouldn't need a description. Right. So much was given yeah, already. Pe- people would just know like, okay, yeah. fasting. Okay. I understand what that means. Right. Meditation. Okay. Contemplation. I know, what, you know, those sorts of things mean. And so today when we kind of get away from that and uh, skeptical, there's some like skepticism around right. it. It's, it's, it's hard to find someone willing to delve into those in the Christian context. Right. Like, right. Delve into you know, that idea of sitting in yeah. silence. And, and I think outside of the Christian context, just sort of in the popular context, the yeah. idea of sitting in silence for 30 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's totally it's suspect. Yeah. Because it's like, well, you need to be productive. Yeah, I've had people tell me to my face, uh, sitting in silence is not worship. You're not worshiping God. And so it's invalid in some way. and It's suspect. Um there's, I've heard uh, uh, teachings. You know, if you if you make yourself too still and too quiet, uh, the devil will get in there. <laughs> so, 
well, you know, okay. Uh, maybe the devil's already there and right. you're afraid of letting him out. <laughs> the devil might already have their yeah, hooks, so, the old hooks there. So just keep your mind constantly going with a flood of thoughts constantly. And when you're, and when you are practicing stillness, don't, don't, Get me wrong. You're not emptying your mind out, right? Uh, your thoughts are still there. They're just floating by, uh, and it goes back to I'll use the reformer, so uh, Protestants out there won't be too offended. Uh, you know, Martin Luther, uh, the anti-Semite reformer, um, said, uh, you know, just because the birds fly over your head doesn't mean you need to let them build a nest in your hair. Mm. And so, you know, and so that's kind of the. You know, the, the stream of thought. Thomas Keating has a, an analogy or a metaphor. You know, you're standing on the bank of the river, that's, and the river is your stream of consciousness, your thoughts that flow by. And, um, or, or the, the river itself is your, is your consciousness. And then there are boats and barges. Flow. Mm-hmm. Those are your individual thoughts. And, and, and so you don't have to react to them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to jump into the river and stop the barge from coming down the river, you just simply let them flow. You let your thoughts pass and you don't, you don't, uh, I, I forgot his four R's in centering prayer, but it, uh, you don't react to any of them. You don't uh, uh, restrict any of them. Uh, help me out here. I, don't, I, I, <laughs> I'm a little soon, slow I was, I was worried you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you give no response uh, to it. You okay. don't, uh, you know, and, and so either way, so you don't you don't attach to the to them, you don't reject them, uh, you don't uh, try to identify in any mm-hmm. way with the thoughts. You just simply let them flow by as you focus on a sacred word or or just the silence itself. Mm-hmm. You could speak in tongues if you want to add a charismatic flavor to it. Right, silently, you know, quietly whisper in tongues. Uh, I think that's the point of tongues. I think. There's a intimate connection between, say, praying the rosary or memorizing scripture and speaking in tongues. They're very similar. Interesting, right? Experience. And so uh, the with we've talked about well, we've talked about a couple of different things where it kind of falls into the realm of silence, lectio divina, as well as. Um, like you were saying, centering prayer. Yeah. What What was your first uh, encounter or the beginning practices for you and centering prayer? Well, a lot of these things. They, I mean, there there wasn't a formula first. So I was I would spend hours in prayer in what we'd call intercessory prayer, where you talk to God or recite scripture mm. or uh, you know. Or as charismatics like to say, do battle. Uh, <laughs> they do. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because Paul's was using a metaphor for spiritual warfare and people take it literally. Very literally. Yeah. In, so they think. In 2020, it's yeah, become very so, literal. You know, a Roman helmet will not help you in a modern yeah, warfare not, context. Yeah, so anyway, but it, it's a metaphor, you know. And so, uh, and so, so there was a lot of chatter. So I would. So when I was young, I would uh, usually the context of prayer for me outside of a church building was in the desert. So I would start walking in the neighborhood. I'd leave my house. So that and that's a metaphor: the house of my confusion, 
the house of my circumstances, the house of my daily routines and obligations. So I walk out of that house, literally and metaphorically, walk up the street of an organized suburban center Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then walk off the block into the open desert to a dirt road and then cross the railroad tracks and then go into the open desert. Mm. And so I would start off at a very fast pace because I'm telling God about all my problems and asking for aid and for comfort and for answers to prayer and, and for, for myself and for people, you know, for our world, right. people that I, for you know, everything. Yeah. And, and it was a frenetic pace. It was a, you know, an emptying out of pressure and water, if you will, you know, uh, water pressure, you know, and then, you know, after an hour, hour and a half or two, that begins to, you know, settle down and you begin to sit in the peace with God. Uh, the the prayer masters in the Protestant world, like Ian e. Bounds and those kind of people, they would call it an assurance of faith would come to you. And, in the silence. Uh, yeah. So so you lay out your 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 tensions and your your uh, confusions and mm-hmm. your prayer, your, your supplications. Okay. And then, yeah, a stillness comes to you like Psalm 131. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a, a baby on his uh, mother's lap, gazing up at the mother, the mother's gazing upon me. Uh, I have stilled and I have weaned my soul like a newborn within me. So this stillness would finally come over me and it would be just a peace. And, and then I'm walking much more slowly or maybe even just, sitting on a hill, hoping not to get run over by a tank. Uh, <laughs> Which could happen in yeah, those yeah, days. Yeah, out there, yeah, it could happen. Uh, or hillbillies <laughs> in their In their truck, in their, tru- in their four, four <laughs> yeah. by fours. Yeah. So. so that's, yeah, so that's kind of my early experience of silent prayer. And that was, and, you're saying that's before you found any kind of formulaic centering prayer. Yeah, it was just, right. ex- yeah, years and years before. Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't discover Thomas Keating's writings until the early 2000s. Okay. And the experience I just gave you was from the 19, early 1980s. Right. So long, long yeah, before. Yeah, so long time. You encountered passed. that. And then when I was really uh, into prayer and would spend, you know, would get a, would, you know, I was a little warrior <laughs> and. Uh, You'd get your Roman helmet. <laughs> yeah, I'd get my Roman helmet on and I would. Uh, lie on my living room floor and in the wee hours of the morning. And and after a while, there's nothing to say to God. What else are you going to say? <laughs> so, right. so you just need yeah. to shut up. <laughs> and I, and I, as a charismatic, I could say, I, there are many times I'd hear the spirit say, just shut up. Will you, mm-hmm. will you just shut up? You numbskull, you know, in, in an <laughs> affectionate sort of way. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in that unconditional, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, I, I got this under control. Right. Sort of way. And so, yeah. And so we're, we're terrified as a culture of silence anyway. And so our churches are, are no different, uh, with a few exceptions, you know. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it's happening, you know. I've been, I mean, you and I went to an early meeting, uh, with a lumen, I think you were with, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, at, yeah, a, at yeah. a downtown church mm-hmm. on a Saturday a Catholic morning. Church. Yeah, uh, uh, the Sacred Heart Church in downtown. Little little call out there. Um, 
and mass had already happened, and we went in to just look at the the old building. Mm, right. And there yep, were, yep, you know, a yep. hundred people huddled in silent prayer, naturally doing this uh, because the poor in spirit know the kingdom of God. And that's who was sitting there. Well, and, and I, the beautiful thing that I remember from that too is that there was probably 20 or 30 people there, would you say? Quite, quite a bit, yeah, yeah. To me. And the majority of the people were in complete silence, but there was also um, at least one woman there that I can, like an older woman who was praying out loud. And if I remember, she was, um, she wasn't like yelling or anything like that, but just, you know, and, and it, you could tell there was a sadness there right. in, in her prayer morning. And there was no, no one was looking at her with the side eye. Like no. it was just like the most acceptable thing to be happening yeah. that there was, that there was all these people in silence and for whatever reason, this particular woman yeah. needed to pray in that way, and that was okay too. Exactly. Which was which was a really beautiful experience from my perspective because it's it seems as though it's like one. A lot of the times, it's one or the other. Like if yeah. it, if there's quiet and silence, you you got to be quiet and silent. Right. And then if there's like rejoicing type prayer and and. Um, vocalized type prayer that, well, you need to engage in that. Yeah. And it's like, well, not everyone's at the same place at the same moment. No, and there was no, this is in the middle of downtown, right on the border mm -hmm. of Juarez. And there was no, yeah, there was no prayer leader. There was no oh, yeah, there was, directive. Yeah. This is the way these, these folks live. This is their life. And this is how their parents lived and parents before them. And it's a beautiful, amazing thing. And, I, and I've been in other places, you know, in Old Messiah where you were baptized, the, the old church the there. The Basilica, yeah. Uh, you know, there's tourists, there's there's all the, the baby boomers on their Harleys yeah. going around the square. We're all very impressed <laughs> by your— uh, By their Harleys. Your, yeah, and your costume, your biker costume, <laughs> your cosplaying. Uh, we're so impressed. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. So there's shoppers everywhere. Uh, there's— uh, there's music, live music going on in the in, on the plaza, and then you know, and it's a sleepy Saturday afternoon, and you stumble into that church, and boom, there's again a handful of people sitting in silence, in the middle mm. of all of that, and it's a profound silence, powerful, and so yeah, and it, it's very interesting too because it's it is a touristy, very much so, type yeah. spot, Messia, old Messia, old Messia, in, New in Mexico, yeah. Um, but that church is so old, and there's just uh, a lot of prayer has happened. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can sense it as soon as you open those the the doors of the of the main yeah. uh, of the basilica. Um, and there's something about a, a place like that where the memory of prayer hangs. That's an amazing. You can feel it. it's palpable. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it has a presence of its own. You know, and it's a sacred place. It's become sacred. And it's it's amazing. I might have already shared this on on the podcast, but a similar feeling washed over because it, it doesn't just have to be a building. No. When I pulled up, when I was walking up to Assisi in Italy, mm, yeah, the home of of Saint Clair and, and Saint Francis, that same exactly energy was in the air. Yeah. It was it was a very interesting because I don't know if I've ever 
experienced it with a, a geographic like I've experienced it like we're talking about in a cathedral or a right, church a or a building place. Yeah, a specific place but is as sort of a a, a town yeah I'd never entire I'd never, geography yeah, I'd never experienced that and it was really um just extremely eye-opening yeah. in that moment to be able to experience that yeah because the early Franciscans lived in caves yeah, well, I with went, Francis I went in that area. And walked through one of the yeah. caves where Fra- Francis lived for. Exactly. I don't remember the time frame, but it was and it wasn't a short period of time. A true spiritual revolution mm-hmm. was was birthed out of that silence, out of that prayer. Mm-hmm. So, and it's always been that way. Well, and, and I think that's what what that's the other part, the scariness. Well, so we were talking about the reluctance. Of sitting in silence. Mm, And I think part of that reluctance is there's a scariness of having to confront oneself. Absolutely. And so I know for me today, I would much rather stare into my cell phone screen and disappear for 20, 30, 40 minutes than uh, have to sit in silence and... Because both things are happening. You're confronting yourself, and then you're also confronting the divine, or you're being confronted by the divine, maybe, or both, right? in that moment of silence. Exactly. And so it's, yeah, it's not something a lot of people want to do, you know, especially if you've been, it depends on how identified you've become with your thoughts. Mm. So if you think you are a person, you think you are because you think I am, therefore, I think, therefore, I am. Right. Uh, if you've made that error of, of if you've made that existential error, then, uh, or, or let me put it another way. I, I, have valid, I have validity. I have value because I can speak, mm-hmm. because I can talk. Because mm-hmm. I can be productive. Yeah. Uh, then you've made a, 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 an existential error there. And, um, and so this presence of God would call you to the silence, or what Paul would call the the Apostle Paul in Philippians, uh, the kenosis, the emptying out of mm. God, for you to join God in that emptying out, um, where you can have a sense of personhood without your thoughts and without your speaking, without your actions. You're the toddler again, sleeping, and the parent is gazing lovingly upon you, and. You are loved because you are loved, not because you merited something. So, right. You're loved because you exist. Exactly. Yeah, and you exist in that. It's it's a, the silly story where the two young fish are hanging out and the old fish comes up and and says, water sure is nice today, isn't it, isn't it boys? And they're like, uh, yeah. And he's swims off and they're like, what the hell is water? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is water? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it just, it for us as human, or from my experience, I guess I can't talk for everybody, but we exist in that divine love yeah. constantly. Exactly. Whether we, we know it or not, whether we embrace it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. And then a real joy can come to your life. You know? I remember when I was a teenager, so true. there was a, uh, a, a Vietnam vet he must have been in his, uh, well, he seemed really old to me, but I was a teenager. So <laughs> right, so he must have been probably younger than I am now. <laughs> but he was retired already. I know that. And 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 he had done 
he had committed atrocities in Vietnam and he mm-hmm. had a lot of trauma in from combat and uh and therefore his entire youth was completely destroyed mm-hmm. with alcoholism and drug okay, use right. and just trying, being, to, trying yeah, to self-medicate just being lost you know mm-hmm. and so so he was a had become a recent convert to Christ and so he was very excited and he had just retired and I remember him telling our prayer group the story of him walking down the street and he found a nickel on the ground and that gave him the joy that he had of finding this nickel wow. and it wasn't the nickel it was the he noticed something so small for the first oh, time because in his he, life because he was so fogged out yeah exactly oh. the lucidity that had come to him from the conversion and probably sobriety that followed right uh he began to notice small things that made yeah the world around him and something is a, a stray nickel on the ground i mean overjoyed him he was the delight that he had in him and i and that stuck with me i was probably 18 yeah. 19 years old when he told this story uh and so i and i think that's what silence does for you it's real joy you begin to awaken to things and an awakening can be scary right oh it's terrifying yeah, yeah. so it can be you know, and if again another plug for the great state of New Mexico, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's been a, many years, but uh, I've gone on tours at Carlsbad Caverns, mm. uh, where they—I uh, don't know if they do this now—but they would uh, take you into a, a deeper cavern and then turn off all the lights, yep, yep. tell everyone to be quiet, yeah. and all you hear is the dripping and and that you know. As a kid, that captured my imagination. I was very jealous of uh, what's his name, White, was uh, the, the original the, the, the first guy, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the first non-native guy right. to uh, explore the cave. To, to I forgot. His, I, don't, I, I know yeah, his I don't last name was White. Name. I forgot his. Yeah. E. B. No, now I'm thinking of an author. Uh, it's not E.B. White. Yeah, <laughs> Charlotte's Web. He, did, he, didn't <laughs> he wrote Charlotte's Web in Carlsbad Caverns. Inside uh, the darkest cavern. <laughs> Jim White, that was his name. Okay. But he would he would he worked at the the Bat Guano factory at the opening of the cave all week long. Oh, and then all right, his friends would go into town to go honky tonking. Go drink. And, and he would he would camp out in this lo- the lower caves. And just, and I was very jealous of that, yeah. you know, what an amazing experience that must have been to be in a, a a cave with absolutely no light. And the only sounds you can hear are the the dripping of water and right. the earth moving, you know. And and so uh, I was very, I remember feeling this, this envy toward that experience, wishing I, but I'm not going to go spelunking, you know, it's, I'm not going to get my belly stuck in <laughs> <laughs> a crevasse. And die down there in an upside down. <laughs> well, and I think that kind of so that 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 kind of ties into so the two points. One, I think some people are called to the silence, yeah, just naturally. Yeah, I th- yes. But I mean, I think your example of growing up and going into the desert and just hanging out by yeah. yourself, you were called for some reason just naturally, yeah, to go do that. And and I wouldn't get too spiritual about it. In the no, sense no, 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 no. God yeah, yeah. has called me right, to a very right. special relationship. Uh, what I would say, I think Ken Wilber uh, coined the phrase. He may not have, but he uses the phrase uh, spiritual intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think some people are gifted mechanically. Mm-hmm. Some people are gifted uh, 
in uh, physically and in athletics, uh, other people. So I think there's a spiritual intelligence. And, yeah. And yeah. And so I think. Well, and, and to that, and I also think it, it, uh, it doesn't make you better than someone else. Correct. You know? Right. Yeah. It does. And, and it, uh, it can be practiced. Right. Exactly. So I, fostered. I, yeah. I saw a really funny quote. Well, it's funny in the sense that we're having this conversation right now, but uh, I don't remember the exact words and I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try to credit the person that actually did this quote in the show notes of the podcast. But earlier today, I saw something where we we cherish and celebrate Michael Jordan for his athletic accomplishments. Right. And all the hard work or all the work he put in to become that basketball player. Right. Which is astounding. Unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. I'll never see the. But then we think someone like Mother Teresa was just born like that. Yeah, no. With a compassionate heart, right? Nope. And it's she probably put in just as many hours and practice and work exactly. to soften her heart, to become compassionate. Yeah. But we don't celebrate that. We just assume like yeah. you're, you're yeah. a spiritual being or you're not. Right, exactly. Um and it doesn't really work that way. No, it doesn't. And some, you know, some might be gifted in certain areas more than others, yeah. but that doesn't, like you're saying, that doesn't make them better or worse yeah. than anyone else. Just, just like the the Michael Jordan example, as a human being, he's not any better, or any worse than any other human being. No, he's just really good at basketball. Yeah, and one, you know, and won a, a ton of games and everything he's else. He's The greatest athlete. And so, and I, I do. I also. The story about the gentleman in the nickel ties into, you know, we talked about in silence, you have to confront yourself. We don't have to. You get to confront yourself. Yeah, it's going be, to happen. Yeah, it yeah. can be scary and terrifying. You also have this um, opportunity to confront the divine or be confronted by the divine. Right. And then also that joy that you were talking about for me, couples into through silence, I've gotten to know myself in a more authentic way. Mm. And I think that's where the the joy comes from because I I, I find out a little bit more about who I am mm. in the in those periods of silence, not every time, but when I'm practicing silence, when I'm engaging with silence, yeah, yeah. those little things bubble up. So I don't I don't know. Have you had those sort of experiences where you've been able to more authentically identify who you are through silence? Yeah, absolutely. And it and it shifts and it changes. So you can't memorialize it, you know. And Right, right, right. Uh, right. So I, I guess uh, the way, I, you know, we didn't plan for this conversation, so I'm just kind of pulling this out. Uh, I would say in my younger days, it was a, Subject to object, God being subject, me being the object of God's love. And there was this deep sense of, I am loved. So like God's projecting God's yes. love onto you. Yes. Okay. And then it shifted into all to a flame where I was the subject and God was the object of my love. And it was a fiery, passionate love. And then somewhere in the uh, maybe my 40s, mid-30s, that the subject and object got erased. Okay. And I guess the object of me got swallowed or absorbed into the subject. If that makes any sense. And so there's no words. 
for it. So there is right, no the ability yeah. to articulate it, isn't there? And so now instead of the fire being shut up in my bones, the fire is in uh, everything that I see. And if mm-hmm. that makes any sense to use to use a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so sort of acknowledging that divine in everything you encounter. Yeah. So it kind of got so dispersed outward and it's not personal anymore. It is personal, but it's not personal. Uh, it's very hard to, to, to project in words. Uh, I heard Thomas Keating say one time, the, the spiritual journey is starts off in three, three legs, if you will. Okay. The first part of the journey is uh, you, uh, you say there is no God. And then the second part of the journey is there is a God. How do I please this God? How do I get in right? How do I get right with this God? What are God? the rules yeah, to, to please? Exactly. Right, okay. And how do I relate? Mm-hmm. And then the third journey is there is no God again mm-hmm. because God and I are one mm-hmm. now. And I don't know where the line is anymore. Right. And so, and it's not like you walk around saying, I'm Jesus Christ, like, right. you know, like a meth addict <laughs> would do, you know, which I've heard them. Yeah, say. I've heard people. I've heard, that. I've heard people strong out on drugs come up to me. I'm Jesus Christ. Right. It's like, okay. Uh, yes, you are. So that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about the new age uh, charlatans talking about, you know, you reaching your full human potential and therefore you are divine and you're God. Mm. And so you can create wealth for yourself. <laughs> right. I'm not talking about that either. So, um, so I'm talking about, you know, divine unity or uh, what the Christian mystics would call uh, the, uh, the unitive life is, is where there's just, there aren't any words anymore for that. And, and you know, and not to get too spiritual, I think that happens in human relationships. Uh, think of the people that, think of someone that you just met a couple of times mm-hmm. and you yucked it up with them. And then somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you know so-and-so? Do you know Juan? Oh, yeah, I love Juan. Juan's awesome. And you can say a lot of words about Juan. Uh, that, right. and, then, and then someone, your own mother or your wife, uh, who you've been married to for, for decades, there aren't a lot of words left uh, as, as those, those, the intimacy of those relationships has, has gained so much longevity. Mm-hmm. And there, there comes a point where there aren't a lot of words. And if there are, it, it cheapens it. Words actually cheapen the, the sense of intimacy between those two and the longevity. So it seems like the less you know someone, the more words. Right. And the more you know someone and they know you, the less words are, are necessary. So... Well, yeah, and it's it's funny that you, yeah you use that word intimacy because I was I read something earlier this week about um, having an intimate relationship with Jesus, right? And and when I first read it, I was like, oh, that seems kind of weird because yeah. you know in my human brain I, I connect uh, intimacy with with like romance, yeah, or, or sexual know, or a sexual relationship or something of that nature. But the more I've, I've sort of uh, strung it out over the last few days, it's like, well, no, intimacy is just to know know another, like you're saying, knowing another human being right. in a deep, to the bones level. Exactly. Because you can't claim it. You can't objectify it. You can't. Right. There's no little trophy you can show. Yeah. At what point are you going, like, you know, I mean, when I, yeah, I'll admit when I was 17 years old, I was walking down Blue Wing Street, Northeast El Paso. 
And, and I heard a voice speak to me, not, not an audible voice, uh, mm-hmm. inside of my heart, uh, in my mind, say, I desire intimacy with you. Mm. And well, and now that's the, it be, that becomes uh, ludicrous because at what point are you going to say you are intimate with God? <laughs> at what point are you going to say, I have achieved this or I have been designated well, this? I feel like the, the televangelist. Well, yeah, they'll, they'll sell they'll that use, to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they'll use it as a selling point. Right. But on a on a, a deep, profound level. Yeah. Like you're talking about. And it becomes what James Joyce, James Joyce's uh, definition of pornography is when uh, we try to uh, possess or own beauty. Mm. That, and, and, it, and it devolves into pornography at that point. Interesting. And I, and I think that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, and I, the having words cheapen an experience, I would say that that basically defines every sort of spiritual encounter, a spiritual experience I've personally have, I've had. I could explain them to you, right? But it's it's almost the same as me explaining a dream I had last night to you. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really register as important on your on your radar. Right. Except in the, you know, if someone's sharing one with me, I'm listening because it, it's obviously important to this yeah. person and the experience they've had with the divine. And so sort of celebrating that for them in in, you know, our, our friendship or whatever it might be. Knowing also that the words they're using to explain it is still it's not it's not what really happened. Exactly. And so it just, yeah, it can't be. The The temptation will always be there to exploit it, of to course. commercialize it. You see that with the transfiguration of Jesus. And they, he takes three oh, of yeah. his disciples up to the mountain and and he's transfigured before them. And he's talking to Moses and he's talking to Elijah. And Peter says, Lord, this is great. This is, we could take this on the road. We could build a temple <laughs> yeah. here. We could start charging. We could, we're set up. We're set up. And we can have a tabernacle here and... uh and then, and then the voice from heaven silences him, and they and they fall asleep in terror. I guess right. And and then it says when they awakened, uh, it was solo. Jesus uh, Nisi, Jesus alone, was with them. Jesus alone. And so, so that's the lesson. One of the lessons of the transfiguration is to you don't, you don't get to camp out on the mountain. Well, uh, you can. You can, but that's but not the point. Yeah, he's there, the, most, the prophets are gone, uh, and the Son of God, God is left as well. And, uh, and he's telling you to tell no one. You know, and as an American, uh, primed with consumerism, like any other American, uh, when I read those, when I read those uh, passages in the Gospels uh, for the first time in my teens and— mm-hmm. Uh, when when Jesus says, "Don't tell anyone," I, I thought it was reverse psychology, uh, because of course he wants them to tell them, because that's it's advertising, right? And so, uh, it's it, that's how you get more uh, more people yeah. to convert to your team. But it's it's no, he actually meant don't tell them. He actually he had a, a literal, reason for that a literal sense. Yeah, keep your mouth shut about it. He really meant that, you know, yeah. or else he's just yeah, a charlatan like anyone else. So, and he wasn't. So there we have it. Well, and, and it's funny. So I think this actually 
sort of goes long about, but that idea of silence. Yeah. You know, so if we see something spectacular or um, I know for me, uh, if I'm like helpful to someone or um, give of my time or give money, I want to tell people about that. Right. Right. Like yeah. I want to like, oh, you know, I I gave this person, this this gentleman on the street some money. Right. Pat right. me on the back. Yeah. Yeah. And you end up with the. But when I'm. I'm silent about it when I don't go around sharing those things or, or maybe, maybe I do share about it, but it depending on the context, right? Like, right. I'm not trying to get glorified for some kind of helpfulness that I've done. Yeah. That silence for me. And, and especially I would say in the last few weeks, really looking at that of like, trying to be silent about my quote unquote good deeds. Yeah. And that, that's a different type of uh, endeavor than for me personally, that's kind of come up recently. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it can be a tricky thing. <laughs> it could be a conundrum. You have some verses that where Jesus says, uh, you know, don't stand on the street corners right. and let everybody know. And then you yeah. have other, let your light shine, <laughs> let your good works be known. So, uh, you know, so it's all about in that motivation uh, that you have. And, and again, prayer and, this, and silent prayer, silent reflection will reveal that to you, your true motive uh, of, of why you do what you do. Well, and, the, and I think that highlights the important uh, nature of, of paradox, in, yeah, in for uh, sure. Not not only in in spirituality or religion, like we're talking about right now, but just in life. Yeah, you know. And and um, I was re- recently reading a, a Richard Rohr book, and he he talked about how some forms of Christianity, you know, in in today's context, has become so black and white. But really, if you look at it, there's a ton of paradox. You know, Jesus. Being fully divine and fully human, right, yeah. Uh, the communion being uh, fully the flesh of of Christ and fully wheat, yeah. Um, and he gives some other examples, and it it's like, oh yeah, like those paradox. That paradox of life is is like really where the ma- in, in my experience where the magic occurs. Yeah, exactly. And you just have to deal with it. Yeah. You know, and I, I also feel that if it doesn't matter what. I can say to people, mm. if, if they don't have a sense that they are loved in my presence and acknowledged as human beings uh, and that I'm present to whoever is in front of me, then what does it matter? I have no, nothing to say about Jesus to them anyway. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, would be, I feel like I'd be doing more damage mm-hmm. uh, if, if, I'm not, if Christ is not exuding his presence and love through me in every encounter that I have, then what good are my words? Words are cheap, especially in this day and age, right? I mean, yeah. I guess you could say that in every day and age, but... Well, uh, but yeah. I, well, in this day and age, it's so much easier to um, put your words out there for for 
an un, untold number of people to uh, yeah that's true we have we have access to a greater crowd if right. you will through social media yeah and so big deal you have an opinion on mm-hmm. it doesn't make you yeah and i think that's part of the appeal in the negative sense for social media uh, i'm not totally against social media no, me i think neither. I, it's I great think it's to connect with people tool. yeah but but the negative that one of the pitfalls is it definitely stokes our addiction f- to feel righteous mm. to feel so you know and it and so yeah so i put out my opinion and it's sanctimonious and it's very uh, righteous and i'm so enlightened mm-hmm. uh, big deal what yeah. have you done how have you made what have you actually done feel yeah so if you're going to advocate for the poor on facebook and you don't engage in poor communities or even live in a poor community uh you know uh, you're empty. So, well, and I think that's it. it also, I, don't, I can't remember if we've already discussed this, but that that idea of um, spiritual bypassing, right? So I I can, and not to get too far off the subject of silence, but I can, you know, I can jump on social media and say some cool words, right? And, and look at me, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm I'm being helpful, um, but. But am I actually, like you're saying, am I actually engaging yeah. in the community that I live in? Am I actually yeah. trying to lift those up around me? Am I, when I encounter someone, anybody, yeah. do I acknowledge their humanness? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and uh, I, I personally fall short in, in that realm, but it's, uh, I try to be mindful of it. We used to call it, I think in the early days of, Social media, we call it slacktivism, right? Slacker, <laughs> VR, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not really, yeah, but you're being seen, yeah, you know. by those in your in your feed or whatever. And I have to admit, I was shocked when I saw in the early days of social media of when I would see colleagues uh, posting that the, when they were at a soup kitchen helping out. I just thought that was just so. Uh, tacky mm. uh, to do that but that's just my maybe i'm just a yeah, funny but, duddy you know maybe I'm well, just, but i don't even know how that yeah that that because who knows what the the motivations are in those moments yeah so i yeah because i i have seen people well i guess i can speak for my uh i've seen people post stuff on social media that has inspired me Right. To so be a again, little bit more active. It can be paradoxical. You know I mean? Yeah. And I've seen others inviting, making right. events. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a better Yeah, example. I have seen that, and that wasn't offensive. I'm talking about where they would say, right. I did this today, Yeah, and here's a picture of Come me. give me a high five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just like, wow, man. And so uh, I, I do want to revisit this idea of uh, later in life um, – the uh, encountering of centering prayer. Okay. Um, and, and and the reason I would like to touch on that is kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation of when I, when I personally was searching for that outlet of uh, Christian meditation or Christian contemplation, uh, entering the silence from the Christian context, um, the first thing that ever popped up to me was this idea of centering prayer. Okay. Um, so, um, and I think for me personally, 
learning about centering prayer and allowing that to evolve in my life for sort of experiencing my own silent prayer and meditation that I encounter with. But what, if you could sort of lay out the the fundamentals, so to speak, Centering Prayer 101 as you understand them um, and what, what that's looked like sort of in your prayer life. Yeah, it's, so you have, I mean, the history would be the Catholic Church had a their conference, Vatican II, mm-hmm. in the early 60s. And one of their objectives was to make contemplative prayer accessible to everyone. I didn't realize it was connected to Vatican yeah. II. Okay. And so you had, you know, monastic orders. So it was seen as something, these are just something that specialized people do, right? right? <laughs> Cistercian monks. Would, Trappist monks, Trappist, right? okay. and, you know, uh, Carmelites would go mm. and... and been uh, two three years completely in solitude, mm. literally in solitude, and, and so you know for the modern world that was, that, you know we'll leave that to the specialists, right? And so they they wanted to break it open and make it more democratic and open it to the people. That's what Vatican II reforms were about. Okay, um, turning the priest towards the people at the mass, right? right. Um, opening up the altar. I mean, all kinds no longer of yeah, holding mass in Latin. Right, yeah, an accessible language, mm-hmm. common languages. And so so early practitioners like Thomas Keating took that and uh, and turned it into a formula that could be accessed. So if you read Thomas Merton, for example, he does not give a, a how-to. Okay. In, in, or in, uh, to, to my awareness, I haven't right. read all of his books, but to my awareness, Thomas Merton never gave a, a step-by-step formula okay. of how to practice silence. Uh, desert monks would have rules like go inside your cave, your literal cave, mm-hmm. and it'll your cell will teach you everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. So just go do it. Right. Practice uh, it. Right. And more will be revealed. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, Lectio Divina was always there. Uh, and, uh, you know, particularly in the medieval period and, and before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Keating basically, from my understanding, took the fourth stage of Lectio Divina, which is to contemplate. Mm-hmm. And, and he turned it into uh, an accessible formula with modern language. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also working from the cloud of unknowing the anonymous work in the medieval period, uh, which kind of gives a formula as well. So he, so in that formula, in that, uh, that anonymous monk or whoever it was that wrote the cloud of unknowing mm-hmm. Uh, said to choose one word, and usually it came out of the Lectio Divina, so it's one word out of the scripture passage that you're reading, and use that as a sacred word, and preferably one syllable. Mm-hmm. Um, I would take it further and say a word that you won't even be attached to. So don't make it mystical or magical. Right, or, just a word. Yeah, shoe. You know, use a, a common word Door. like that. Um and, and that's just simply to, to be a placeholder for your thoughts in your mind. You return to that word when your thoughts wander. You sit with your, your palms open because you're, you're receptive to the presence of God. Um, charismatics are very familiar with that mm-hmm. posture of prayer. It's in the New Testament in Timothy. Uh, the apostle tells believers everywhere to lift up their hands uh, as, a, as adoration, you know, and and reception. And so you give what Keating would say, give consent to the presence of God. Mm. 
So you, so you still yourself and focus on the one word, uh, sacred word. Your thoughts begin to wander, and then you remind yourself you come back to that word. Uh, and, it's, it's, and that's just to keep your mental gymnastics at a minimum. And you, and you simply... To, to slow the monkey mind. Yeah, on exactly. The monkey mind will begin to calm down and mm-hmm. run itself out. And you're just simply receiving the grace of God, the, the, the love of God, the, the presence of God. And, uh, and it's that simple. And he would recommend the, the, the contemplative outreach people uh, to do that for 20 minutes, no more, no less. Mm. Uh, and there are days where that 20 minutes will pass uh, like five Very seconds quickly, right? and other days it'll be a full day just, mm. or you don't even make the 20 minutes. And you don't even analyze that, and you don't judge that. You just simply interested. Yeah, you just simply do that, and so it's so it's that simple. It's a it's a very, and Quakers have been doing it together for years, and and I've noticed I, I, I've read you know in Quaker meetings some people knit, some people will actually read. You know they'll actually so they're sorry they're even a little bit more fast and loose. Well, with and, that I, and I yeah, and I think that goes back to what you said earlier about. As you practice these things, as you practice yeah. silence, um, sort of what that what that prayer life or prayer style, I guess, would be a better yeah. way to put it. How that works for you in your life will be revealed. Exactly. So the knitting might there might be a season where you're where that does yeah. work for you. Reading, I know for me, just sitting in silence, yeah, uh, for a season has worked. Um, and and for anyone, if anyone's listening, and this. Maybe this is your first episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. Uh, this idea of Lectio Divina, if, if you go back to, I believe it's episode eight, where we discuss the Bible and, and the scripture, um, you can, we, we spend some time delving into what Lectio Divina is, uh, how you can practice it either by yourself or with a group of people. Um, so feel free to, to revisit that to maybe answer any questions around Lectio Divina. Um, well, Mr. Morrison, how time has flown. We've, we've put a, (laughs) put another episode together. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate, um, you coming, coming back week in and week out. Um, now that we, we sort of have some episodes up, it would be great, greatly helpful if you could, uh, leave a review. Um, on any of the putt wherever you listen to this, uh, whether uh, a four or five star review, um, a commented <laughs> review, or even even if you don't do that, if you just tell someone we exist uh, and spread yeah, the word, that. yeah, we would greatly appreciate that. So, if you have an idea for a topic, let us know. Yeah, you can that. go. Not that we know everything, but we, to, <laughs> we can we'll talk about it. it. <laughs> Theruin.com. You can also go to um, drcrpod.com or desertraincommunity.com. And it'll it'll get you to where you need to go. And, and uh, I'd love to hear from anybody, and, and we will respond back in kind. So, uh, David Morrison, thank you very much. Much my love. Friend. Much love. <laughs>